Welcome to Steam Powered Scoundrels, a Malifaux podcast, and our Neverborn Primer. Check us out on Discord and support us on Patreon if you feel like being nice. Links are in the episode description. And welcome back to Steam Powered Scoundrels. I'm your host, Doug, and with me today is a very special Neverborn player. Say hi, Eli. Hello. Eli's been with us on several episodes of Steam Powered Scoundrels, and I brought him on as my Neverborn expert because we are going over the Neverborn primer this episode. For those of you that don't know, we're doing primers for each of the factions where we go through each keyword model and, well, no, just every model in queue. Every, every model. We go through every model. And give you a quick overview of what they do, what their fluff is, and kind of give you a reason why you would want to possibly play them. Nothing super in-depth, no huge tactics here. Eli might give you a trick or two, but uh, we're going to try to cut it down from the other two we've done, because those were very long-winded, and that's not what this is about. This is just a short, sweet selling point for the faction and the models within. Are you ready, Eli? Sorry, what? Your previous guest, I'm kind of surprised they were so long-winded. Who thought they could... uh... They could talk so much. Yeah, who thought Roman and Nate would talk at all about anything? All right. So we are on the Neverborn, who I would probably argue is the most popular faction in the game. At least as far as when I hear people say, oh, I started playing Malifaux because all oh, those Neverborn look really, really cool and I want to play as them. So um, that's that's my opinion. I don't, I don't know about you. How'd you get into the Neverborn? Honestly, it was Jacob Lynch was the first model that I saw that I liked in Malifaux. A friend of mine had the older style with the uh, little tadpole-looking dude, and I thought it was the coolest-looking thing. And then at Gen Con, <laughs> Gen Con, I went, and I went to the Neverborn section, remembering the symbol, and I saw Dreamer, and I fell in love with that box. And that was it. Neverborn was my faction from there on. Everyone, you heard it here first. Eli loves little boys. No. It was... Uh, you know what? I... There's no back more than that, is there? Sorry, you kind of walked into that one. I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Now, to clarify, I love the concept of just a kid with nightmarish powers that even one of the tyrants couldn't understand. The creepy child that comes out and then literally changes reality and people don't know what to do with that. It's very much a idea of, like, humans are the real monsters concept where one of the most powerful people in this faction is just a sociopathic young boy with a very powerful imagination. It's weirdly poetic. See, I just I just took from it straight the whole the power of imagination. Like, you can do anything if you put your mind to it. It was inspiring to me. Okay, so he's a <laughs> mass-murdering Peter Pan. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay, good. That actually sounds like a pretty fun, it sounds like a pretty fun alt sculpt, if I'm going to be honest. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay, the Neverborn. Fluff-wise, the entire faction is collectively the native denizens of Malifaux, uh, not including the Gremlins, because, well, that's the bio not including the bio faction. They're their own thing, because they're probably just a little bit too oddball and wild for the Nephilim to really bring into their ranks. So these are... Collect, again, collectively, the people that lived in Malifaux first, and all the humans are encroaching on their territory, and they're not very happy about it, and all these humans are bringing the frickin' tyrants back. 
pirates being these sort of old one elder god type entities that uh, have lost their power a long time ago, thanks in most part to uh, the Neverborn stopping them. But they still exist, and they're still trying to get their power back. And if one of them gets their power back at this point, they would basically be able to take over all of Malifaux and possibly all of Earth as well. So they're very bad, and the Neverborn don't want them to uh, get to power for very obvious reasons. And the humans are kind of mucking things up, inadvertently trying to bring them back. So they're pretty mad at the humans, and they kind of want them to go away for the most part. And so that's kind of their their thing. They, like all the other factions, there's good things about them and bad things about them. The good things being that they, they know more about the tyrants than any of the other factions. They know what can happen and they want them gone. But they're also vicious and ruthless and not quite often very bloodthirsty. So they are obviously the most horror of the gothic steampunk western horror eastern steampunk again <laughs> bayou aesthetic of Malifaux. <laughs> i was wondering how many more i could list off but uh yeah no uh one of the big major concepts of Malifaux is horror and no, no one does horror more than the neverborn do so each of the keywords is just something something different that's would be considered scary i would say uh, they have their own sort of scary flavor so I think that's one of the, uh, the cool things about the Neverborn in particular is each keyword is very distinct from the others. Even in the other factions, you know, everything is, is distinct for itself, but the Neverborn is particularly separated from each other. Like, you're not going to mix up a Mimic with a Nephilim. Like, they, you, you know what's what. Yeah, they're, more, they're even more, like, separated than the Arcanists, which I'd say come in maybe second place. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I was just saying, yes, yes, they're very, very distinct. Weird has, like, I have this very strong idea for this keyword. We're just going to run with it and have a bunch of models. And then even the versatiles, a good amount of the versatiles uh, have their own sort of keyword they're filling into, kind of because they used to be their own keyword group, and then their master got his head yeah. off. But uh, anyways, any other things, interesting stuff about the fluff that people might be excited about? I'm sure we'll come up with them as we go along, but figured I'd ask now. Victoria, what's the most interesting thing about the Neverborn? You were going to initially play I'm Neverborn. Initially gonna play Neverborn. You got really excited about I Pandora. I like all of the like allusions to classical mythology. Yeah, there's um, there is this tie that's alluded to quite often that going back to the general lore of Malifaux that the breach that people take to get from Earth to Malifaux wasn't the first one, and many have been cropping up between the two worlds over the centuries, over the millennia, and people have been going back and forth across it, so a lot of these sort of nightmare or mythological concepts humanity has um, across time have partially been actually just never born, that have wandered over to Earth and they've had some more... I don't know if they're still sort of tying them in with Native Americans or not. That was a bit in the Through the Breach fluff. I believe so. I believe some mimics went over there and they, they interacted with the Native Americans. Yeah. So I believe they alluded to a lot of Native Americans have a little bit of at least Nephilim blood in them. So 
I don't think that's manifested itself in, as a model quite yet, but that's something to look out for. That's a quick overview of the fluff. So let's go through the eight different keywords and then the versatile. So these are grouped by keywords. We'll go through the master first, give them a little bit of on their fluff, a little bit of their play style, and then the, the totem, and then go through all the models that share that keyword, and then move on to the next keyword, and we'll keep it quick, keep it snappy. I'll make sure to shut Eli up if he keeps, if he, you know, turns into Nate or Roman or both of them. Right. God. Right? I am, I am related to one of them, so there's, there's always the possibility that I'll... I thought all genders were related. There's a little massive community of genders where we're all actually kind of related, but not really. So it's an underground society of genders? Yeah. <laughs> Don't ask me how I know that. Alright, first up, I think we should start with the Nephilim. The Nephilim are, I don't want to say, like, the standard, but, like, the most prominent members of the Neverborn, when you say Neverborn, I think. These are the big, purple, demon-looking dudes that are incredibly violent and given a whole lot of problems to the humans earth side they're the very direct ones they live in a very like might makes right society and last edition the master was a one lilith who has been usurped by her sister nakima who is the master for Neph the nephilim keyword in third edition now nakima has very been a lot more Okay, not a lot more. A lot less subtle than Lilith was. She has been very straightforward about stabbing and killing all the humans and driving them out. And just generally a very angry person, which makes her just the best. I really like Nakima, actually. And I, I'm actually not entirely sure how you pronounce that name. Usually I have this stuff, like, on lockdown because I like to correct people because I'm a jerk. It is Nakima. Nakima. Cool. It's pronounced that way in the uh, the podcast, the Breach Scythe broadcast. I think they mispronounced Frycore one more time, one time, so I don't believe them. Alright, fair enough. <laughs> that's that's the most official pronunciation I've found. Is it something from mythology? Nakima Levi Armstrong is probably not who we're looking at here. You look like a very nice lady with no <laughs> horns or living blades. Okay. Can't look it up. All right. So, Nakima in second edition, one of the big sort of major plot twists is she decided to finally rebel against her sister. So, Nephilim were fighting Nephilim, and Nakima finally came out on top. Now, Lola didn't die, but she did kind of get thrown into a prison of sorts, and so we might be seeing her somewhere down the line. But now she is the queen of the Nephilim, and she is running things a lot different. She is building up her forces, and begrudgingly kowtowing to the Queen of the Fae, who we'll be getting to next, which Nakim is not exactly happy with, but really it was Titania that was the one that helped her gain her power, so she's got to follow her for now. So, Eli, why don't you talk about how Nakima plays? So, Nakima and all the Nephilim have a very core mechanic called Black Blood, which is whenever this model takes damage, there's an, an Aura 1 thing and it takes Everything that doesn't have black blood takes one damage. Uh, and that's very key to how they play. There's also a lot of regeneration and healing in the crew. And, of course, there's there's a lot of murder in the crew. A whole lot of murder. Think of them like a Geiger-esque aliens, but demons instead. Yeah, pretty much exactly. Go back into the fluff a little bit. During the war against the tyrants, Shezul, who is now in the Masamune, 
got his power from devouring red blood. And so there was a massive ritual that the Nephilim did to turn their blood icarous and black and poisonous to Shezul. Poisonous uh, to really anything, but... Yeah, that was a side effect, because it was poisonous to everything else in the world, which is super cool. But yeah, so there's a lot of attacking, there's a lot of self-damage, because damaging yourself damages everything around you, and there's a lot of ways to heal through various means, and of course, there's the growth mechanic in Nephilim that we'll probably touch on later, but Nekama can help basically in every one of those processes, and is easily one of the best hitters in the game. That's another thing that we could bring up is that Nephilim don't grow and mature like humans do or what we what most animals do in that they only get bigger and stronger after killing and consuming red blood yes. or in this case it would be corpses that would be represented through corpses in this game so to prove one's worth a baby Nephilim would hunt and kill something sometimes its own brethren who knows and once it's done enough of that it becomes a sort of like a middle awkward teen stage of Nephilim and eventually into a big bad monstrous beastie or some of the other specialist Nephilim too, which we'll get into. But keep in mind that these things don't oper- operate like humans do and they're they're warped in one way or another or just not what you would expect. So one of the big things is that the Nephilim can suddenly go from a baby to an adult in the blink of an eye if played correctly. That's how the Nephilim sort of played. Is there anything specific about Nakima you want to point out? She seemed pretty straightforward to me, but... I mean, as far as Masters go, she does seem pretty basic at first glance, but she really does do a lot more support than you would expect from what you normally see as just a melee master. Uh, she has uh, Meat for the Young, which is an important trigger in this crew, which is... Choose a friendly Nephilim model within three. After killing the chosen model, counts as having killed the target. So you're basically letting the younger Nephilim use her kills to grow. There's also her corpse, where she can literally just throw a corpse at her target. (laughs) And they can eat that for growth. Here's a question real quick. Sidebar. Can she throw mindless zombies? Mindless zombies count as corpse markers for friendly models, correct? Oh, okay, friendly. I didn't know if it was just just count as corpse markers or... Yeah, it would have to be a friendly mindless zombie, but yeah, I would imagine so. Okay, so so she can't. I was just wondering if she went up against Rezzers, if she could actually just throw their mindless zombies back at them. Hilarious, but I don't believe it works (laughs) that way. Okay, sadly. No, you're, you're correct. Okay, moving on. So, Nakima brings her totem, the Blood Hunter... Um, I guess if you were brand new to Malifaux, you might know what a totem is. Every master, the person sort of running the keyword, they bring along a free model called a totem. Some of them are very big and powerful. Some of them are not. The blood hunter here was at one point a pig. Nakima found it like out in the woods. It had killed some Nephilim and was feasting upon their flesh and didn't seem to be bothered by the black blood too much. And it got, you know kind of warped and messed up and it became the blood hunter and i guess the one interesting thing about the blood hunter in a nephilim crew is that it can generate course markers on its own which then the nephilim can use to make their models into bigger models it also has the stampede effect which is really nice but it doesn't quite work as well as it could it originally had the pig keyword and they took that away before it was released and that was sad Stampede, basically, when it charges something, it'll just immediately deal damage to it. 
and Wait. suffer one damage itself, and since it has black blood, that is going to generate two points of damage? Yes? Technically, no, it doesn't, because it's not an action or a trigger that causes that damage. It's, uh, it's an ability. Oh, okay, sadly. Um, so unfortunately, it does, doesn't work as well as it could, but it's still a nice effect to have 40 millimeter model charging up and doing damage to things. Soften enemies up before you get there. So Hayridin was part of a group of Nephilim that saw the humans coming in, and they hated that. And so they're like, what can we do to punish the humans for being so insolent? And they found the humans doing necromancy, and they're like, hey, we're better than humans, so we can probably do that better than them. And it turned out well for a while, until uh, Lilith saw that they were doing this, and she hated it. And she killed most of them, and left Herodin alive to suffer for what he had done. And he was banished from the Neverborn, but when Nekama came back and was under the rule, basically, or partnership uh, with Titania, and Titania's undead. They're like, you know what? We're okay with undead. So he was brought back into the fold, <laughs> and he's doing wonderful works with the, the Nephilim again. And he's got some pretty cool things he can do. Uh, he's got Black Blood, Regeneration 1, and Regeneration 1, and Flight, which is pretty standard for most of the Nephilim. Uh, he also has an aura that heals, and that's kind of what one of his biggest things. He puts on an aura of healing, and he can also summon a few things. Mindless zombies and the Terratots, which we'll go over later. Oh, he okay, so he can summon mindless zombies. So you can get, the, so you can get friendly mindless zombies then? Yes, absolutely. That <laughs> keep it can just then throw. That sounds <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I think you could specify that that healing aura is basically turning their black blood into black healing blood for other yes. Nephilim? Yes. And it's an 8-inch aura, so it's pretty big and very helpful. Yeah. He is a linchpin, from what I can tell, from people playing him. I will absolutely not play Nephilim Crew without him. Cool. Alright, next up is the Lowly Terror Tot. These are your most basic of Nephilim. They're the kiddos. Nakima, just bring along with the chillins. And all of her you know, nieces and nephews, or whatever, uh, out to the fight. Because she's responsible like that. Uh, Terratots don't do a whole lot, but they're, they're pretty cheap. And they're relatively fast. They can't fly, but cheap enough to be a decent scheme runner. And if you want to keep them around instead, they're decent platforms to start summoning or uh, bringing in bigger Nephilim off of using course markers. Yeah, they're a good surprise. Uh, if you've got some extra soul stones to bring them in, they can be a good surprise if you've lost the models that you were using. They're not super, super useful, but they're cheap, so why not? Yeah. Go ahead and talk about the Young Nephilim. So, the Young Nephilim is one of the Nephilim that the Teratot can grow into. They are pretty standard. They're not as specialized as the other ones. They're good for doing damage. They're fast, and they got a few things that can help with the growth mechanic. And that's basically what, they're, what they do mechanically. Fluff-wise, they're just... The common middle stage of the Nephilim growth chain, I guess. The middle Pokemon evolution no one likes. Exactly. This is your weird, gangly teenage stage Those of... Charmeleons and your war turtles and what, whatever they are nowadays. Blech. <laughs> Next up is the mature Nephilim. These are the big things that you want stomping around the battlefield because they hit, like, trucks. Uh -huh. And that's really what they do... 
they have a little bit of movement shenanigans because at this point they have big old wings and they can fly around. They can carry things with them. So there's a little bit of trickery to them. But I think you're primarily using them to just beat face. And they have a decent amount of defensibility with the fact that they have regeneration and they have, and people can't cheat uh, melee attacks against them. So when one of these gets out on the board, they're big and scary, which is exactly what you want from them. Yeah. All right, so Black Blood Shaman, in the fluff, they are, you know, they're the shamans. They're, they help with all the religious rites and rituals. They go through grueling training and testing to become Black Blood Shamans. They basically always end up being sacrifices themselves for future generations of Black Blood Shamans, and they're super important to Nephilim culture. They are also, though, mechanically just crazy important. Like, I, that's another model that I don't think I could see myself playing Nephilim without them. At least one, maybe two. They're cheaper than the other middle state uh, Nephilim by one stone, and they, they do, God, they do so much. They have an aura of a three-inch pulse of healing at the end of their turn. They have ways to drop uh, corpse markers. They have ways to give everything within pulse three of them focus. They are insanely good for this crew, and I I just can't stress that enough. You want to bring at least one. Also, they're creepy as hell. Also, they're creepy as hell, and I love it. (laughs) Now we're going to get into, I guess, Black Blood Shaman was the first of the specialists. Quick explanation of the whole growing mechanic here, because I guess we didn't get into specifics. Um, What happens is if a model eats enough corpses, or at least the mechanics make it think it's eaten enough corpses... Or if it kills models of a higher cost in itself. Yes. If that happens, then it can be replaced with another minion rank Nephilim of a bigger size. So, Teratots can become Young Nephilim, or Black Blood Shaman, or Lilitu, or Lilus any of those options so there's a good amount of sort of strategy you can do there you can bring them and have them as a blank slate for oh, oh i need i need another shaman because mine died or i actually want it to be a little too because i need that lure or something like that so there's some cleverness there to it to it it's not just running in and beating face as hard as possible so let's get to little too which is <clears throat> kind of weird fluff wise not going to get into too, too much but uh for every lilitu there is a lilu for every lilu there's a lilitu they are bonded together and in fact they share sort of share healing so having one having both on the field at one time is a good thing but her i guess biggest shtick is that she brings a lure to the crew so instead of forcing your entire party to just launch yourselves at the opponent you can start picking apart and bringing them into you why don't you talk about the other side of that? All right, so Leilu is the male half of the sibling growth thingy. Uh, they're the <laughs> subs to the Lilitu's doms. Uh, yeah, and, yep. Uh, yeah, they do more... I think they do more damage? Yeah, they're, um, they're, they're more of the hitters. And they also have, you know, the ability to hurt themselves at the end of... More often than other things, because they do it at the end of other friendly models activations. And that can put out black blood more. And they also have the uh, the combined healing effect. And both of them together provide some card cycling? Yeah. A little bit of card cycling. Yeah. So, last and uh, possibly least are the Corrupted Hounds, which I just learned are technically Nephilim. These are dogs from, you know, Earth that have been so far so horrendously corrupted by Malavo itself, just the innate 
magicalness of them at all that they have become Nephilim. And so these are even cheaper than the Teratots. And as far as I can tell, they're just chaff to bring uh, to run down and do annoying on and just be annoying as possible for as long as possible. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much how I see them, except for maybe possible sources for corpses when your uh, enemies kill them. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're only three stones, so that's that's not yeah. a huge loss on your part. So that's the Nephilim keyword. Let's move on to, I would say, the one that's been the most prominent in the f- fluff lately, and that is the fake keyword. Now, this keyword, or this master, has is relatively new to Malifa. She came in on the tail end of second edition with, you know, a wave of new masters. And this is the Autumn Queen herself, Titania. Titania's fluff was that she was imprisoned in uh, sort of a ritualistic site for, you know, thousands upon thousands of years. And then she's been set free, and she was originally the person that defeated the tyrants in the first place. And so she's seen what's going on now, and she's not having it, so she's organizing a way to make sure those tyrants stay gone. And her sort of interesting thing is that she is undead, and she brings some undead models with her. Now, before, the Neverborn abhorred necromancy. I mean, humans also abhor necromancy, but the Nephilim hated it even more. And now they've kind of got to put up with this undead queen lady and swear fealty to her. So there was that nice little bit of fluff, as you mentioned before, how Hayridden was originally in the Resurrectionist faction, but now that Titania's here, they can't be hating on undead nearly as much. So she is a nice regal lady wearing a... She might need a little bit more of a dress at some point with um, wings and bleeding eyes, and she is all the much a very regal-type individual. So why don't you go ahead and talk about how she plays? So, Chitani herself is very tough. She's got 14 wounds and has uh, Cruel Disappointment, which is a pretty unique ability, which is when this model, when a friendly model within three would suffer severe damage, it's moderate instead. So that's neat, and it makes her and everything near her more survivable in a lot of situations. But they keyword in general has a lot of terrain play. They like to put out the underbrush markers, which are 50 millimeter markers that give concealment, and they're severe, but most of the fae can walk right through them. She's got flight, so she can get around the board super fast, and she can manipulate the underbrush markers very well to the advantage of her and the rest of your crew. I'd say we're also, whereas Nikima and the Nephilim were all about flying and dealing as much damage as possible, Titani is a bit more reserved and a little bit more defensive. She has a decent amount, of, a good amount of decent of defensive tech on herself, and the rest of her crew brings some, some hefty like armor and hard to wound that aren't aren't that prevalent in the Neverborn. So, besides doing a lot of board shenanigans and popping up plants everywhere that are you know going to kill people, they can also take a little bit more of a hit than a lot of other models in the faction, except for Boltangan, but. okay let's get into her totem that's the word i'm looking for the gorar gorar is a big old snake holding an egg representing life and death and with that representation it's whole shtick i mean it can do many many things the great thing about malvo is every model can do a lot of different things they aren't completely pigeonholed into doing one thing but the most well-known thing that the gorar can do is that it can replace 
itself with a model that had died during the game. And it can do this with just about any... I think it can do it with any minion or enforcer. That's correct. Which, looking at its stat, that's... Yeah, that's good. That's real good. I believe you have a king on hand when you do this. You can replace it back into a new hooded rider? Yes. Yes. Dang. Okay, I didn't think about that. So that's... The riders, the riders are 11, right? Yeah, so you need, need a 13. Which isn't that hard to do. I, I, that's really cool. Okay, cool. That's the Gordar. Alright. The main henchman for the crew is Aislinn. She is Titania's very advisor person. Sort of like her, the Merlin to her uh, King Arthur. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, there's a few interesting things that she can do. Not surprising, a lot of fun with the underbrush tokens. And it's nice to have a model in faction that has dry out secrets. But I haven't used Aislinn a lot. Not, not saying it's a bad model, it's just I've preferred other models in its place. Okay. Let's go ahead and talk about Titania's minions, the ones that come in... Do they come in her new box? Yep. Her original box had them. Okay, good. Cool. The Autumn Knights are pretty relatively expensive for minions. They're over seven, but their shtick is... They're just solid. They're solid models. They're okay at hitting. They've got good defense, high defense, armor, hard to wound. And I guess the one trick they also bring to the table is challenge, which says that if a model targets a different model with an action, they have to discard to do that. So if you bring more than one and you hit the same model with it, they're always having to discard, which is a neat little trick. But yeah, nothing out of left field or just generally solid. Yeah. The only Fey Enforcer, Killjoy, his little story is that he was, even in second edition, they said he was a Neverborn Beast, but he's an undead Neverborn Beast who was sent to be eternally punished, I suppose by Titania herself, and now that she's back, he's back to uh, to serve her. And uh, so we snatched him back from the outcasts. I'm sure they're they're absolutely enthralled that uh, they lost Kildare. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll be fine without him. Yeah, they'll be fine. He's home. He's got some fun uh, mechanics, particularly when you put him out, he puts out two upgrades on any non-insignificant models that you want. And what happens is when Killjoy dies, he doesn't die. He just buries. And you can use the upgrades to kill the models that they're on and bring out Killjoy in their place basically. This is very nice for just bringing your beater back or for avoiding linear opponents getting points for killing him. Yep. And he's just overall like a big a, a good chunky hitter. Yeah, he is hefty and he will hit you. And he's got healing with Juggernaut. Okay, next up are Boltungan, which, if I recall correctly, or roughly, sort of like the werewolf version of jackals. So another mythological creature from Earthside that has um, made its way into this game. They are relatively cheap, five soul stones, and I would assume that they're kind of a scheme runner type force in this group. Yes, scheme runners. Decent move, have an extra move at the end of the turn, and as another additional little trick, they can remove conditions off of someone they target. They're also one of Neverborn's scheme marker removal options, but they're also one of the weaker models, so it's hard to get that use out of them. Who's definitely not weak, though, in the, uh, the fake keyword? The Waldgeists. The Waldgeists are pretty tough. 
the wall guys are they're actually interesting i believe they came over from Earthside. Uh, we were talking about the little breaches and how that there were some interactions with the Native Americans. I believe some tree spirits came over to Malifaux from the Earthside. And they are, they're pretty tough. They're not super expensive at six stones, but they, they are tough for that cost. And that's, that's basically their whole point is to hold a spot and keep your enemies from being able to be there. They have good interaction with severe terrain. They got tangling roots that can go. They can attack basically anything that's touching the same severe terrain as them, and they've got a little bit of healing with severe terrain. Yep. We should probably also mention that it is a walking tree. <laughs> it is a walking tree. It's a walking tree. Um, name comes from German, I believe. It literally means uh, forest spirit. Correct. Yes. So you should be pronouncing that W as a V if you want to be smug like me. Smug like Doug. Smug like Doug. So that is, there's another T-shirt for you. Great. Okay. Last is the Rugaru, which is another adjacent mythological creature to the werewolf. These happen to be un- undead werewolves in this case. Kind of a bigger hitters than that. They're more reliable damage than the knights, but they don't take as much damage themselves. Another source of that, like, high spike, six damage, as well, a little bit of movement shenanigans by pushing enemy models and giving them slow. So, just a little bit, if you want a little bit more bite than uh, beef, I guess, I'll uh, go with these guys as opposed to knights. And faster. I forget, they're, they're just as fast as the uh, the Boltongan. Okay. Uh, that's the fake keyword. Any, anything else before we move on? Uh, no, I think we covered the most of it. I would, I should say, the Fey keyword is the one that interacts best with the emissary. Yes, in fact, my Aaron in our local meta plays the Fey keyword a lot, and he has almost always brought the emissary, as far as I know, and used it to great effect. Yeah, it is, it's definitely if it had a keyword, it would be Fey. Sort of the same with like the, the brutal emissary being definitely a marshal, if anything. It's a bigger walking tree, yes. Okay, moving on. The woe keyword. Oh, yay. Uh, here, let's get into mythology again. The master for this keyword is Pandora, a nice, completely stable uh, lady walking around with a definitely normal box not containing the evil, malicious spirit of a tyrant or two tyrants now. There's a bit of a spoiler for you, I guess. The book's been out for half a year. Deal with it. This is definitely the the mind games keyword over anything else. Woes are a different type of Nephilim. Uh, Neverborn, sorry. Are a different type of Neverborn. Mostly manifesting themselves as spirits, but they can also be children for some reason. I don't think we've gotten a really concrete explanation of what a woe is. Outside of someone who either feeds off of or causes severe emotions in uh, other beings. And so these things like to mess with people, you know, making them incredibly depressed, not to hurt themselves, or uh, other such things. So we're going with kind of the mind games keyword here. And uh, why don't you tell us about Pandora and how she plays Eli? So this keyword has a lot of play with conditions. Almost every model has our opportunist and misery. They each play off of conditions. So I'm just going to read these out so that you have this based okay. on the rest of the keyword. You'll have opportunist and a condition. So on Pandora, it's opportunist any condition. Before performing an opposed duel, this model may end any condition on the opposed model to receive a positive to that duel. Uh, other models will have 
can remove stunned or the named condition. On Misery, once per activation after an enemy model within Aura 6 gains stunned or the opportunist condition, uh, this model may either move it up to 2 inches or have it suffer 1 damage. And you're just going to get a whole lot of play with that because the crew does a lot of stunned and a lot of the models will put out the condition that's on their opportunist ability. Pandora also has the highest terrifying in the game because she is terrifying, of course. <laughs> yeah. She has the spirit of despair in her box, so that's... Despair being one of the tyrants. Literally, the name of the tyrant is Despair. And she's got an attack that lets her... Mechanically, she uses your attack against you. Fluff-wise, she makes you hurt yourself. Yes. Uh, she makes you so depressed, you decide that you need to hurt yourself. Trying to dance around that without it being... Without being insensitive about the subject, I guess. So... Not necessarily a ton of damage dealing, but a lot of shutdown. I said mind games before, and that's sort of the fluff, kind of how they work, but they're definitely a make you do what they want and not at all what you want to do by just stopping you from doing things or using your stuff against you. Kind of frustrating to play against as a first-time player, but as with all native play experience kind of things like that, you get used to it, so... Just pointing that out, would you agree it's a shutdown kind of playstyle? It is. Between having stunned, just limiting what you can do, and Pandora herself can occasionally change your activation order, It's it can be frustrating. Okay, Pandora brings her totem, the Poltergeist, as a big spooky ghost, as opposed to the other slightly smaller spooky ghosts. It's got a couple sticks about it. One of them, it's, it's a small model that's significant, so it can do a little bit of skim running if you need it to. It can walk six, so that's a pretty decent distance. Uh, the normal stuff that comes with the woe keyword. And I guess two things that are very interesting is one, that it can remove markers within a four-inch pulse of itself, and it's 50 millimeter base, so that's a pretty big distance. So if you're going up against something where that drops a lot of markers or uh, someone who's scheming, you can definitely remove all those. And the other thing is that it prevents models within six inches from using the Ruthless ability. And you have a decent amount of terrifying in this crew, so that's a very critical thing to do to stop them from, you know, taking down Pandora. Another important note is it can give everything within Aura 2 of it negative on willpower duels, and there's a lot of terrifying in this uh, crew yeah. willpower duels. And it's, it will... That will mess you up. It's primarily willpower duels, if I recall correctly. Yeah, it it makes Poltergeist basically your number one target if you're facing a low crew. It just it's really that good of an ability. Yeah, fair. I forgot about that one. Okay, tell me about one of the henchmen. Candy is one of the henchmen in the woe keyword. Candy looks like a little girl, but she is terrifying and horrible to people. Some of them deserve it, so that's okay. Oh, they're they're I, humans. They all deserve it. You're right, you're right. (laughs) She's kind of like a mini Pandora, to be honest. She does a lot of the stuff she does. Definitely a model that you want to save until the end of the turn if you can, because there's a lot of stuff she gets for not having activated yet. Mm -hmm. Her opportunist condition is fast, which is weird, because she can put fast on enemy models, and you get, oh, sweet, she gave me fast, And and then she ruins your day for having it. Yeah, and then and then just eats it off anyway, so you don't even get a benefit from it. You have it. You just thought you did. So what a little jerk! 
yeah, she's fun. <laughs> also, a little bit of healing, so that's nice to have in the Neverborn faction. Yeah, I forgot she could heal. Okay, the other henchman, who's definitely not a little girl, this is the Carver. Carver was uh, like an alt in second edition, so it's finally becoming an official model for the minis game. And this is, yeah, it's a, it's a real boy. It's, it's, it's a scarecrow with a big pumpkin on his head and some big old shears for hands. The usual nightmare stuff. Hooray. They even got the nightmare keywords. It's still keywords with another master, but it is the in-keyword, I guess the in-keywords excuse to start hitting things pretty hard. You'll see with just about every, like, subtle, not straightforward, not punchy keyword that they'll at least have one model to bring to the table that is, you know, I just need to hit things. And this is the thing that hits things. That's pretty much what it does. Hands out stun. It's got all the other abilities to it, but it's got a nice attack with crit strike and execute, and you're going to use it to, pay, to hit things. That's yeah. that's the carver. The opportunist condition on this one is focused, and that's always fun to remove focus from your enemies. Oh, yes. Especially when they stack it a whole bunch. Like, what's that? You got focus? Take one damage. Now I'm taking it away from you. You got focus six? Now I'm taking it away from you. All of it. Deal with it. Hey, you, you know, you like talking about children, Eli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is not that is not the reputation I want. <laughs> Excellent segue. So we got Baby Kate, who is definitely not a baby. It's a baby with like a knife. Is a, a baby with a knife. And if that doesn't intimidate you on its own, then I don't know what will. It's got a lot of really good play with Teddy, because babies should have teddy bears. Kind of makes fact, it an honorary woe model, despite not having the keyword. Yeah, it. Uh, any any crew that has Baby Kate in it can hire the Teddy as if it were versatile. And there's some movement and healing shenanigans with Teddy on Baby Kate's card. Baby Kate also has Allure, which is super nice. And opportunist condition is slow because you know you wanted to be punished more after getting <laughs> slow. Okay, up next is the sort of generic minions in the woe keyword, or at least the traditional minion. She's picked up a few more since then. But these are the uh, big, glowy green, spooky ghosts. Not as big as the polar guys. These are the sorrows. They are, I would say, the closest thing to scheme runners, generic scheme runners. Um, while they don't have like high amount of straightforward movement, they have this thing where they can just teleport to a friendly model within 8 inches, or an enemy model that has stunned. So they have like a dual purpose of being able to move across the board relatively quick and start scheming, or just immediately move to something and hold it down. So your other things can just slap at it. And just to add insult to injury, when that thing it teleports to activates, it takes a damage and the sorrow heals one. So, more annoying stuff. Yeah, that's basically it. Ah, I can generalize about models that I've barely ever seen. All right, so hey, Eli, about... tell me about children again. Oh, damn it. <laughs> I uh, swear this was got... an accident. We've got Iggy, who is, is an orphan. His house burnt down, and he found out that the kids in the orphanage were being used to charge up soul stones, and so he didn't like that. And he, he learned that he could control fire because he was angry and lighting things on fire. Ended up burning down the orphanage, which is really sad, but... Now he's got a new job, working for Pandora. Surprisingly, his opportunist condition is burning. He can do some very good fire attacks. And uh, one of the main reasons he's used in Neverborn is he has arson and reckless, which gives him fast, and so he can use 
Arson three times in a turn if he wants to. Good. That's very good in a faction that does not have a whole lot of other scheme marker removal. You will often see it used outside of keyword. Next up are a new model, and these are aversions. A different kind of spooky ghost. These ones don't look like weird zombies, but just... Well, one of them has puppets, one of them's picking his nose, and one of them is removing his brain from his skull. So they're just people you don't want to be around. Ghosts you don't want to be around. The aversions shtick, I guess big shtick thing, is that when something gets close to it, it has to do a willpower duel, otherwise it immediately pushes away. And the, I guess the other significant thing about that is that the movement on a charge will force this duel before the attack happens. So these good things could ping enemy models away before they can actually attack with a charge. On top of that, they got Scatter, which I personally hate. But it's a very useful ability in that it pushes enemies away and they have no resist for it. So it's just a bit of a move-your-opponent-around shenanigans. Another way to be annoying. Right, so another new model. Hey, this one's not a child. Hooray! We it's have the Lysa, which are spirits. They are woe and savage. They're pretty cool. They have opportunist for staggered, which works very well in the savage keyword more than it does in the woe keyword. And in fact, in general, they're better with savage. They've got bring it, which is kind of like a lure, but they move further and have to attack the Lysa. And they have an, an ability to make an enemy attack something else. So that's that's fun. We also have Frozen Vigor, but that's going to be more important in Savage. Okay. Real quick here. I decided to look them up because I thought they were a thing. They are a thing. They're from Greek yeah. mythology. They are, they are rage spirits from Greek mythology. I should have mentioned that. Angry rage spirits. Okay. Oh, hey. Pronunciation. I, I as in lie. Okay. Or I as in kit. So li- Lissa. Lissa. Listen. Listen. Now I know. That was bothering me. Hey, this is a great thing. I'm learning things here about the Neverborn, which is great. That's all the woke keyword, actually. So let's move on to one we've technically covered in a different episode, and this is the Swamp Fiend keyword. Swamp Fiends are, well, they live in the swamp. They're swamp creatures, and they are sort of controlled or manipulated by Zoraida herself, the wise old witch of the Neverborn. She used to be human a long, long, long time ago, and then she came over to Malifaux, and she became probably the most powerful sort of divination wizard, <laughs> to quote like a D&D sort of thing here. Uh, she controls the strings of fate more than anyone else, and she is the most witchy aesthetic out of anything in the game. So, yet another control, not as much shutdown as it is uh, just making people do things and making your own stuff do things a lot more often than it normally would. Zoraida is an Obey Master. She's the Obey Master more than anyone else. That's really her thing, is making things do what she wants, because she plucks the string of fate, strings of fate and knows what's going to happen, and so she can make you do what you don't want to do. Eli, go ahead and give us a little bit more on her playstyle. So, as you said, she is the main Obey Master. Her Obey is a willpower, a stat of seven. If you want to force it, it's hard to stop her. She also has the Voodoo Doll, which is super fun. She can summon in. The Voodoo Doll is her totem, we'll get into that, but she summons it in. She has a lot of conditions because of the Voodoo Doll. She was 
pretty terrifying to people for a while, but honestly, she's she's not all that scary, guys, I promise. <laughs> it is very triggering, though, I guess, when your opponent says, no, your model's going to do this right now, and there's nothing you can do about it. So I get why people don't like it, but it's not a game-ending thing, honestly. No. But yeah, so as far as the rest of the Swamp Fiends, there's honestly a pretty wide variety of things that the Swamp Fiends can do, but their main ability is called Penetrating Stench. It gives out stunned if things activate near you, or you have to discard a card. Quick little snippet of lore here, or maybe more of a reference. Um, Zoraida here, and Pandora, and previously uh, Lilith, were sort of a reference to the Maiden, the Mother, and the Crone, which is a concept in Wicca? Yes? Or paganism, generally? At least that's seems to be the obvious illusion here. Lilith being quoted as the mother of monsters. Having her own deep, deep lore. Google that sometime. Who Lilith was, is. Moving on. Uh, Zoraida also a bit of a Baba Yaga kind of yeah. appearance. Yeah, the chicken-legged hut that can disappear whenever she wants it to walk away. Yeah, so doing a lot of, like, Neverborn just has so much mythology and lore and stuff behind it, probably more than any of the other factions. So if you like seeing something being, oh, that's cool, I wonder what that is, and then Google me and I'd be like, oh, that's that's a neat reference, then this might be the faction for you. But okay, Zoraida comes with the voodoo doll as her totem. She doesn't even really need to bring it in to start. She can just summon it. And it's a bit of a nuisance piece. Pretty cheap. But, you know, you're getting it for a card, if I recall correctly. Yes, at the end of her activation now, she can discard a card to get it in base contact with herself. But I believe it can do, uh, when it comes out, as voodoo dolls do, it'll associate itself to an enemy model, and then when it takes damage, the enemy model will take a little bit of damage as well. But it can also sacrifice itself for a card, or um, even copy an action from the model that it's sort of attached to. In a way, linked, I guess. What's what's the proper term here? What am I looking for? Connected? Connected. The, yeah. So, you know, get the idea of Zoraida making this voodoo doll based off, you know, a clump of hair from some model from the guild and then being able to mess with it a little bit as you do with voodoo dolls. So, that's, that's the totem. Doesn't do a huge ton. I mean, it doesn't have a huge board presence like some other models. Henchman-wise... One of the main ones is Bad Juju, who is a big, beefy swamp golem type dealio. Yeah. Swamp and, golem uh, is a very good description. It's big, it will punch you hard, and it is very, very hard to kill. It's got regenerate, it's got demise eternal. One of the biggest things that people didn't like about Zoraida is her ability to obey it and give it two actions with one of her own, and it can do can do a lot of damage with two actions. Her other henchman is McTavish. Obviously, we covered everything here in the Bayou Primer, but we're just doing this, assuming that you haven't listened to that. So, McTavish is who I would really hope is an Australian man that has wandered his way into the swamps and acclimated himself. He is either uh, walking next to or riding a gator. He's got a leash on. And despite that gator being there, I think his... 
His thing, really, his special thing, is that he's actually a, a ranged gun in the Neverborn. Neverborn does not have a lot of uh, ranged shooting attacks. So he brings that at that lovely 14-inch range that snipers do. But, you know, if something gets in too close to him, then he can use the, the alligator to, you know, gobble it up. He's got that. He can, he can kill things, like, outright if they get close to him. And brings a little bit of condition removal. So both her henchmen, Zoraida's henchmen, bringing a lot of uh, pain to the table more than anything else. Oh, wait, she's got a third henchman. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness! It's the first mate. It's in the infamous crew as well. It's a big old Silurid with an anchor. What is a Silurid? A Silurid is a giant alligator frog. I call them bullfrog catfish. Yeah? I don't know. I definitely see some alligator in there. Bullfrog, alligator, catfish. Half of each. Yes. Uh, so it's a more schemey henchman than the other two. It used to be uh, a lot beefier, too, but they kind of worked that down a little bit. And made it reasonable. <laughs> made it a lot more reasonable. Well, like, I, I agree. The idea was to make him really, really good at scheming, but also he could fight really, really well. Beat you well with that uh, that anchor he's got. But yeah, he's still got a lot of good movement and stealth on top of that, so that's really good. And he will get your schemes done. And also, he's a good, he's a good anti-scheme. He's going to pick up your stuff. Probably eat it. Next up, uh, sp- speaking of Silurids, the generic Silurids are next. They are her boxed minions, at least from second edition. And uh, big green, slightly bipedal things that, you know, if you just call them Swamp Fiends as opposed to Silurids, that's probably the most apt mental image you can have. Um, these are definitely scheme runners. Just as much as the, uh, I guess not quite as much as the first made because they, they cost less. But they got a lovely leap, so they can go pretty far distance for a small card. And if something attacks them, they have Butterfly Jump, which means it can't be pinned down, and you can't be targeted from ranged attacks from very far away. So, really, a very solid scheme runner. So, uh, we also have the Enforcer, the... Or, sorry, no, it's another henchman. Jeez. Four, henchman number four. Four henchmen. Uh, the Spawn Mother, which is... The mother of Silurids. I got. I got, I have to go into the lore here. Is that all? All Silurids are born male. Male, yeah. And then if they get old enough and smart enough, they become female, which is nice. Mother Nature is scary. Life uh, finds a way. <laughs> so yeah, you've got the Spawn Mother. She has a nice way of putting out eggs, which can hatch into gups. Doug will touch on those in just a moment. And uh, she's got some decent healing for the Guffs and stealth, which is always nice to have. Not the most useful henchman, considering that she's got three others. Still a pretty solid model. Guffs, they are very cheap Silurids. If for some reason you don't have enough stones to bring a Silurid, you can bring Guffs. They have Leap still, but it's considerably less reliable. The annoying tactical action might actually be their best thing. While they're still up, they can kind of, yeah, they can annoy your opponents until they get killed. And then, does Spawn Mother key off of them dying, like in 2nd edition? Yeah. Well, it's not just it's not just the guy. It's, it's any Spawn Mother. Okay. So I think they're more of a thing that you uh, learn and uh, play around with if you bring a Spawn Mother. I don't see them being hard a whole ton. But if you like little baby, little baby Silurids, then go ahead and bring them. 
it's it's your game. You figure out how you're going to have fun with it. They're also good. Anytime you don't want your enemy to get corpse markers, it has puny, so it doesn't drop any markers. And there's a very slight chance that when it kills a thing, it can become a silhouette. Yeah. More grow mechanics. All right. What about the Groot Slang? The Groot Slang is a neat little beastie that's normal little. underground. They were released when the red cage crashed into the ground. That's a the cage that was holding one of the tyrants in the sky. Crashed to the ground, and these terrifying, tunneling, blind creatures came out, and they're having a good old time in the swamp now. What the Groot Slang does, it's an enforcer, it's a beast, and it uh, has really good movement shenanigans. It can put out lair markers, put out three of them when you deploy it, and it can travel from lair to lair and get you really far across the board for all your scheming needs. All right, next up is the Humble Bayou Gator. And this is an alligator. It operates like an alligator. It bites. It hurts. It can possibly outright kill you. I don't think anything else needs to be more said more about them. No, that's that's it. Yeah, short and sweet. Gotro Bokor. Gotro Bokor. These are gremlins. And they are the spirit shamany gremlins. Bokor being like, I think that's a voodoo term. Yes. They're, they're very, they're based in voodoo. They live around Kythera, which is the thing that brought out the death spirit. That's why they can talk to spirits and whatnot. They have obeys, which, you know, you needed more obeys in the swamp being fevered. <laughs> they've, got, they've got good healing, and they've got some glowy abilities because they're also in the whiz-bang keyword. Something you will learn about if you listen to the, uh, the Bayou Primer, and you should. You should. Nate's a great guy. Next up, we're finally getting back into technically the Neverborn keyword. I mean, faction. Uh, with Will-O-The-Wisp, yet another mythological creature here. Their thing primarily is luring things about, getting them out of position, as Will-O-The-Wisps were known to do in mythology. And if you got lucky and, I think, killed just uh, something that cost more, or enemy not living in a non-minion model within three inches is killed then it can grow into something else. Why don't you talk about that, Eli? They can become the Adzi, which is a bigger, furrier Will-O-The-Wisp. Gross. Oh, they're giant, like, skeleton lightning bugs. Yeah. What's not cute about a lightning bug with vestigial legs and a skull face? And one of the little dangly things that anglerfish have. Uh, The Adzi actually has five of those, so... Gross! Back straight. Sorry. No, it, it's cool. It's got a lure. I think all the Wilbus have lures. Yep. Yeah. Already. But yeah, it's got its lure. One of the nice things about them is they have an attack that adds two conditions. And if you use that in conjunction with the Voodoo Doll's ability to give any model that it's connected to the conditions it gets, they basically just for free put two conditions on an enemy model. Ow. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Last but not least, we already talked about this before, the Waldgeist. The Waldgeist, sorry, I, I apologize to myself. Living trees, they live in the swamp, therefore they are swamp fiend, besides Fey, and they are slightly defensive, good tar pity models. As was said before. Moving on to, I believe, your favorite keyword. Yes, it is. This is the nightmare keyword, led by the dreamer himself a little boy. Not a little boy anymore. Now, like, uh, an obnoxious preteen. 
He's, you know, in the running for the most punchable face in Malifaux, to be perfectly honest. I think you're a little bit biased on that. I'm not... Well, I'm not saying he has the most punchable face, because that belongs to Nelly, but I'm saying he could possibly be related to Nelly. I'm just saying, you've, you've recently described a lot of the Neverborn as punchable. We're talking about Dreamer here. Dreamer is the most powerful psychic alive at the time. At least people, at least, we, we can assume that that's probably the case. He's such a powerful psychic that when he goes to bed at night, mind you, he's living on Earth right now. He's living on Earth in London. And when he goes to sleep, he basically spirit walks over to Malifaux, pops out as a little ghost walking around, and he has fun with the locals. And for a sadistic little sociopath of a boy, fun is creating nightmare creatures to murder the shit out of everyone. He also uh, has a new friend that uh, is, in fact, a tyrant. Um, but this boy is such a powerful psychic, he's managed to basically just rope the tyrant into being his plaything and giving it a cute name. So, if you ever, like, ever really thought about how incredibly cruel and sadistic small children can be, uh, this is the best example I can think of. The Dreamer is really stinking powerful and pretty darn scary. But he's had a really big appearance change. Since second edition, second edition, he was this cute little boy in his his, his smock. He's is walking around in his PJs, carrying, uh, leading along this little monster, and his uh, summons are these cute little daydreams and, and you know a child's imagination. But since then, he's become an edgy preteen and gotten into like lots of uh, black and horns and spikes and things. Something about, you know, the town being lit on fire and then invaded by monsters around him. I think there's... That might have made him worse. Surprisingly um, enough, traumatized him into being even worse. We can, Yeah, we can quickly talk about that. He lived in London. London was uh, slightly invaded by the ravenous sea creatures and flooded and almost entirely destroyed. And, and was psycho-cultist as well. Uh, just a joyous day. So he lost one or both of his parents uh, during that. And so he's probably going through some pretty awful crap in his uh, normal living day life. So not helping. Is a bit more ragged than his PJs were. Well, well, now he's a street tough. He's no longer living in a posh little manner. Okay, how does the Dreamer play, Eli? Dreamer is, first and foremost, a summoner. And a really, really good one. All of the summoners in Malfo now have their own interesting mechanics. Dreamers is my favorite, uh, both mechanically and how it relates to the fluff. Because what he does is he summons a nightmare or more, if you've got the cards for it. And they come in buried and stunned. But when an enemy model loses a willpower duel, which there's a fair amount of willpower duels in the nightmare keyword, you get to pop out your buried nightmare and base contact with them. And this leads to all kind of fun shenanigans. Dreamer is otherwise a pretty good support master. He can do some damage, but the main thing is his willpower duels from a distance that help his allies and get things summoned. And you can pretty easily put adversary for nightmare on models, which that's a lot of fun. <laughs> he also has protected nightmare and serene countenance and incorporeal which make his seven wounds last a lot longer than you would imagine they could. Because he is still a child, so he only gets seven wounds. He's a child ghost. He's a ghost. Ghosts are dead. 
Well, he's still like he's a spirit of some kind. He's incorporeal. Maybe yeah. it. Maybe he is dead. Ooh, that, that's a great plot twist. That would be yeah, probably gonna make things only worse. We're being perfectly honest. <laughs> As I alluded to before, some totems are you know small representations of the model or you know, little tricks in a box that you get for free. Not so much with this one. This big, nasty, bitey boy is Lord Choppy Bits, the tyrant nightmare that is currently in under the thumb of the Dreamer. Although, according to the fluff, he's starting to slowly manipulate the boy into doing what he wants, which is definitely a good thing. Less the Dreamer's thumb and more, like, duck with Dreamer, because he can't figure out how Dreamer does what he... He wants what Dreamer has and can't figure out how to get it other than by going along with Dreamer's yeah. antics. But he is, he's a beater. He is a beater oh, yeah. you get for free. And, um, yeah, solid, solid attacks. He can do a ranged attack if he really needs to, but I think he's going to mostly be stabbing if he can. Getting off extra attacks when people are laying down scheme markers. But, as well, got a little bit of defensive ability with terrifying and regeneration, so he's not going to die that easily. And, as well, uh, Dreamer can just pop him teleport him across the board to something he manages to hit with a, with a trigger. There's also, Chompy is the first model we're talking about that has a bonus action called Lucid Dream, which I'm going to go over because it's on every single model that Dreamer can summon. Yes. Lucid Dream is you reveal the top three cards of this model's fate deck, choose one revealed non-Joker card, and remove it from the game. Then discard the other revealed cards. It has a massive effect on the game because you can just weed out all of the bad cards in your deck. Not not all of them, unless you really focus on that, in which case you're probably not doing a whole lot of actual gameplay. <laughs> but it it can it can have a good effect, and Dreamer is hungry for good cards given all the things he needs to function, so it's a necessary mechanic for this crew. Okay. Well why don't you go ahead and talk about his No, she's not a henchman, is she? Nope, uh, she's an enforcer, but she is more important than any henchman, to be honest. <laughs> yes. Chompy bits, other than Chompy Bits. Serena Bowman, if you've heard about the Neverborn, you've probably heard about Serena. She is one of the most well-known models because she's versatile, as well as a nightmare, and she does so much for this faction. She has Demise Eternal, so she's very hard to kill. She has Bottle of Painkillers bonus action, which does a lot of healing, especially you've got the if you get the trigger. She got Twist Reality, which is an important attack for this keyword because it can ignore armor and corporeal. It can be defense or willpower based. She's got all of this on eight stones. She's yeah. quite quite honestly ridiculous. Yeah, she was one of three models that were in a uh, a sort of contest that Weird had, where you basically play with your faction and. Whatever faction's got the most victories got... Would add something to one of these models. Yeah, they got something added to that character's lore, and whoever had the most victories overall got that character added to their faction. Neverborn got Serena. And Neverborn technically won at that contest at this point. Because Serena is by and far more useful than Ferdinand. Yeah. Or... Huh. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely fair. Yep. So I would say you were probably doing something wrong if you're not taking her in the Nightmare Crew. Yeah, she's I 
I've never played, other than when I first started and didn't realize how good she was, uh, I haven't played a game in Nightmare without her since. Okay, so he does bring another henchman besides the one he gets for free. And this is the car. We talked about him before. It's a lovely pumpkin-headed scarecrow man. And I guess I'm not entirely sure why you bring him in this crew, because you have enough hitting. But I guess if you really want to have someone with um, an execute, or possibly if you want to bring stunned into the crew, does the, does the keyword have any other stunned? I believe so. Okay. So maybe then f- fill me in what, what role he serves in this crew. Honestly, I don't bring Carver in Nightmare. Okay. You could use him for focus removal if you really want to. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're trying to sell sell the stuff here, so... Focus removal, if you if you want to bring some executes into the party that you can get off with Soul Stones if you need to. Ruthless is always oh. a good thing to have. He's not useless. No, he's not useless. And he, he does have Terrifying Eleven, which is a willpower duel, which can get things that are summoned out. Oh, yeah. And is ruthless. Why don't you go ahead and talk about the other enforcer? Capelius. He's a delight. He's a real charmer. He's got the looks. <laughs> uh, tentacles all over his face and whatnot. Everyone knows that's cute. Like an anemic Cthulhu. Y- yeah, basically. With a basket full of eyeballs, because that's his favorite snack. He loves the eyeballs. I don't know where he comes from. It hasn't really been specified. He might have been made by Dreamer. He might have just been drawn to Dreamer. It's it's unclear about his origins, but he is definitely a nightmare. There's really no other place he would fit. Yes. He has a fantastic movement at a move of seven, and he has terrifying eleven. Again, willpower duels, those are super important. And he has he has unhinged, which is another willpower duel that does damage based on nightmares around the enemy. So if you can get a bunch of nightmares around a thing, easy to do with the summoning, and then use that unhinge on them, you can do a fair amount of damage with this guy. Okay, next up is another henchman, third third one uh, here. It is the Widow Weaver. It is a pretty lady in a pretty dress that just happens to have horrific spider face and sharp, chompy mouths. Her shtick, fluff-wise, is that she goes around and uh, causes little children to have nightmares and then proceeds to sort of harvest those nightmares for her own nefarious plans. Uh, she does a few things for the crew. Once she puts out these web markers that act as severe terrain, slowing your opponent down, she can teleport to them, making her a pretty decent scheme runner and someone you can't really pin down. As well, she can summon puppet minions, so another summoner in a summoning crew, which is just delightful. And uh, last but not least, she can also move enemy models away from her, so there's some, you know, shenanigans there to gum things up and push models where they don't want to be. Going back to Dreamer's summons, or starting on Dreamer's summons, I should say, uh, we got the Daydreams. They're his basic little dudes. They're very cheap. The main purpose I use them for is for their lucid dreaming and for their lead nightmare, which should basically help you shove your friends around and get them places faster. Next up are Alps, the relatively cheap summons for Dreamer to bring out. They're a way to, one, generate distracted on your opponent, as well as getting pass tokens for your crew to use. Uh, They have an ability that says enemy models within two inches. Suffer a negative flip to their damage flips. So you toss an Alp in there, 
And it's very easy to toss an Alp in there because the second an enemy model fails a willpower duel, out comes the Alp right next to them, exactly where you want them to, d- to be, which is just delightful to deal with. Yeah, everyone, everyone absolutely loves that. And this guy's not even the worst one. But yeah, turning down, like basically putting out hard to wound for all of your models for the things it's next to is it's quite frustrating and a good use of uh, the Alp. One of the main thing is it pops out and does an automatic damage to whatever it comes into base contact with. After it unburies for any reason, every model in base contact with it suffers one damage. It also, once for activation, it gets to do a free attack after any kind of placement, and it can be summoned in conjunction with a Daydream because they're both low, low enough cost that it's pretty easy to do that. So if you do that, when you pop it out, you'll have an automatic positive to the attack because of its how imaginary cause works. Thanks. I hate it. That's great. I love it. It's fair. It's so fair. It's the most fair thing. All right. Oh. Eli, tell us about the Insidious Madness. Insidious Madnesses, they are adorable and cuddly. You can tell because of all the tentacles they have. And easy to assemble. Oh, man. They're just the easiest. <laughs> uh, I, I don't complain about model assembly because I don't play in Bayou, to be fair. But yeah, they come with all kinds of fiddly bits. They are just weird masses like fluff wise they're just masses of like madness basically made quasi corporeal they're actually incorporeal so not even that they have terrifying 11 which is very good for a minion they are incorporeal as i said they've got good movement and they have the ability to shove people away with scatter so very nice they also can have they have they have an ability that can be used or an action that can be used while buried so that's also very nice because they summon buried. They're difficult to play against. They're very hardy for something that you can summon. I feel like I'm putting a lot more information into these cards than I did in any other... The well, other. It's, it's your keyword. It's understandable. It's my main one. They're my babies. They're your babies. You're horrifying babies. Never never have babies, Eli. I oh, okay, that's, that was really mean. Okay, let's, big, let's get to the gross, nasty stitch together who have had a bit of a, a bit of a cuddling, but I would say it's probably deserved. They basically look like Oogie Boogie from Nightmare Before Christmas. They are sex, a burlap filled with mystery human meat and bones and stuff. Um, they'll come in and they've got a decent... The real, Really, their thing is the gamble your life. For a six-cost model... You can do a uh, three, four, five damage track, which is definitely a decent hit. The only thing is, b- because of the way the fluff works, if they fail that that attack, they're the ones that are taking the damage, which is not great. But still, considering they have you know armor and you're summoning them and they've got six wounds, it's not that bad. And also. Just, just generally another kind of obnoxious, hard-to-bring-down model. When they suffer damage from melee attacks, they can put out poison, which is also frustrating for people. And they also heal if they kill something, and which isn't that hard to do with, with Gamble Your Life. It can also... Oh, the other thing. The other thing yeah. that you probably bring them for more than, than uh, Gamble Your Life now, now that Gamble Your Life is an attack, is that they can actually... Take one of those cards that you've pulled out from your deck and use it in place of actually flipping a card. So, say you do your in lucid place, dream. It's not in place of cheating. Okay. So, it's even better. Great. Yeah. Great. 
So, uh, you fail that attack, it's like, oh, well, actually, I, I took this 13 out of the deck. Oh, look, I, I cheated this 13, so uh, I win, and uh, you take, oh, five damage. That's, that's bad. But it's, it's also insurance for if, for some reason, you flip, like, three severes uh, for Lucid Dream, because there should be no downsides to your ability to remove any cards from your deck that isn't a Joker. I'm not salty. <laughs> Uh, no, it's it's a it's a great crew. They're they're great models. I'm just playing a character at this point. I should probably point that out. If you don't know me, I do want to say though that honestly, the, the crew just wouldn't function nearly as well without Lucid Dream. Like it's oh no, it's a big part of how you make it function. But also, like I absolutely understand why people hate it. I I really get it, guys. It sucks when you can see your your opponent just making the deck whatever they want it. It looks like yep. But I'm not. I'm not saying that Nightmare is the best keyword in the game. That is not the case. They are very, very good, though. But let's go ahead and finish them up because we've got a couple other keywords to get through. Uh, yes. Go ahead and talk about you. You've mentioned him before, Teddy, Teddy. Eli. Teddy. He is huge and fuzzy, and everybody loves him. And that's the end of it. No, uh, he's got terrifying eleven. He's got flurry, and he has heavy claws, which do a lot of damage. So he can come at you, he can hit you real good, and it's sometimes hard to, uh, to hit him back. He has, he's it, got armor one, so that also makes it tough. And yeah, it's a big beat stick, is basically what it is. Last but not least is the Bandersnatch, another very lovely mythological creature. It, it's, it's, it takes the form of a giant spider. And if you don't know what a Bandersnatch is, it manages to crawl inside of your shadow, and once there, will do awful things to you and your friends. Very, very fluffy. I don't see him taking nearly as much as I think he, he should. He's just he's just cool in the way his mechanics work, and they they really work in that way. It's like it runs up on a model and buries inside that model's quote unquote shadow, so it's taken away from the board, and then it can operate as though it's like standing where that particular model is. I want to say like its biggest the way you play it is you run it in there and it does its thing and it's going to die, but goodness your opponent's probably gonna panic and immediately try to kill it as opposed to doing anything else it wanted to do. I have I have wasted several master AP because I've put the Bandersnatch on them uh, and they are like, oh I have to get rid of this thing. And it's like you don't have to but like absolutely waste your waste your master doing that. I don't want you playing the game. I want you fighting my spider. <laughs> okay. That's the nightmare keyword. Oh, oh, go ahead. Great, great synergy with uh, Widow Weaver because it also puts out web markers and it can teleport to them as well. So hmm. the two of them together get crazy movement. Yes. I forgot about that. Okay. Moving on to Mimic. These are the doppelgangers. These are the, the shape changers, the shapeshifters that, you know... Sneaky, sneaky bastards of the Neverborn. And this is a, a lovely, adorable, wonderful man by the name of Lucius Madison, who happens to also work for the guild, the Mimic Master. Um, he was also the Elite keyword, so this is technically Mimic and Elite, but Mimic is obviously the Neverborn side of things. And Lucius himself is yet another Obey Master, but he does, does things a little bit differently. And he is a lot more uh, schemy and tricksy and 
coming at you sideways kind of thing, as opposed to where Zoraida just beats you to death with a giant swamp golem over and over and over again. Or your own models, really. But once you go into talking how Lucius works... So, Lucius is interesting because a lot of his obeys are, if not all of his obeys, are obeying friendly models. Yeah. However, you can use your obey on a friendly model to make that friendly model obey another friendly model. <laughs> but why so, would you do that? Because you're technically only supposed to do it, you only target a model once per turn, or once per activation, but you can cheese it and you can basically spend almost all of your AP with a select few models that you want to do specific things. Uh, especially the infamous Agent 46, who's very good at stabbing things. Other than that, Lucius has, you know, he's got his hidden snipers, so he can draw line of sight from friendly mimic early models, so, you know, it's really hard to stay out of line of sight of this crew. And he brings Arcane Reservoir, so you've always got an extra card, and there's a lot of card draw in this crew. Yeah, that's what I was, I was trying to get at, is that if you obey a model to obey another model, you're technically drawing two cards at that point. Yes, yes, you, um, you get... I, I will go back to talk about Fluff real quick and that uh, it's very fitting for the Mimics to be dual faction because they're such conceptually and story-wise the, the kind of secret agents of the Neverborn and the fact that they can take other people's appearances and basically turn into them is truly frightening and something the humans talk about and try to deal with all the time. So quite funny that the, one of the most powerful Mimics in... Malifaux is very high up in the government. It's kind of funny. And he's running He's running basically the justice system. Uh, wonderful. Okay. Alright. His totem, the scribe. I want to say the most obvious thing on this card is it can end conditions for an action. It's got a, I got your back so it can place friendly models next to it that kind of get out of place. But he can also bury and unbury next to ski markers. So there's a bit of movement shenanigans in there as well. As well as Oh, I forgot the betrayal order. <laughs> ah, that's probably it. Oh goodness. Uh within six inches enemies must discard a card to cheat fate. So yeah, Scribe suddenly becomes a huge target. But he's a hard target to hit because it has fade away with a built in tome on the defense. So you attack it and it buries. Good job you didn't you didn't kill it. At least you got that R off the board, so why don't you talk about his... One of his henchmen. Agent 46. Everyone loves him. Nobody's angry about how good he is. <laughs> well, definitely not after the... Arata. He, yeah, he, he, got, he got a little bit nerfed, but not in a bad way. I think it works very well with his fluff. Agent 46 is, of course, a mimic. He is uh, basically uh, Lucius's right-hand guy. That's basically his job, is doing what Lucius says and hmm. making everybody very, very scared of Lucius. A very obvious allusion to Agent 46? I mean, 7? God, the Hitman games. Yes. 47. Yeah, Agent 47. Sorry. Uh, no, you're good. The things that make 46 like very good is it's got a mimic, so it can take an attack from any model in the game, or it can do inhuman physiology, which means enemy models cannot cheat fate when targeted by him. So you pull that off, and then you obey him with all of your models and all of your AP to do as many attacks as you want, and you're going to get a lot of really good... You're going to get a lot of damage out there. Okay, next up is the Doppelganger. 
which is probably the most commonly used name for a mimic, I want to say, and lives up to that. Their thing is, one, they got a nice lure that's going to pull your opponents uh, out of place, as well as the mimic tactical action, which 46 had, which lets them copy any tag action that they can see within six inches. So find a nice juicy beater and take their best attack and then use it on them. Very, very fluffy and relatively straightforward for the concept. Changelings. We also have the changelings, which are little mimics. They're very cute, especially when they've got their faces on. They can take them off. (laughs) So their thing is they've got just like you. Very cool. It can do non-bonus tactical actions on any model. That includes masters. It just has a a minus two to the stat. And so that gives you a lot of really good utility in this very cheap model. It's only four stones. And it's got stealth and manipulative and disguise. So it's very hard to kill for for what it is. I mean, it's only got four wounds, but it's hard to hit it. So, yeah, that's it. That's that's the mimics. Okay. Small, cheap, creepy children. Okay, these next models are not actually uh, mimics at all. However... Uh, Lucius has two keywords, one being elite and the other one being mimic, so he's allowed to bring over all of his guild buddies into the Neverborn, so I figured it'd be worth uh, talking about them since they are things that can be showing up on the Lucius crew. First up is Alan Reed, the henchman he brings in from the elite. He is um, an investigator for the guild, and he brings a lot of schemey nuisance shenanigans. He has... A garrote, which he can actually force your opponent to reveal one of their unrevealed schemes, which is really cool and really fluffy. Bringing out the one more question, which he kind of gets from Nelly, of all things. Breaking out slow and possibly doing a little bit of damage. He can hand out staggered. And a lovely boring conversation aura, which forces your opponent to take tests if they want to do anything that isn't a walk. So, a nuisance and a good anti-schemer. False witnesses are really, really good. <laughs> Their big thing, false witnesses, is that they can put up an aura three inches where your opponent just can't cheat at all, which is debilitating. They go down relatively quick, but, I mean, with with that sort of thing that they can do, I, I'd see that's, that's why they can't be super hard to kill. I love the fluff on lawyers because... <laughs> They start out as normal lawyers, and then they realize that there's bureaucracy magic, and they've been using it this whole time, and they get this, like, epiphany, and they start working for Lucius, and they they use red tape word magic against people, and it's fantastic. They have an obey, just a standard obey, which is different from Lucius's, which is friendly-based. They're very good for passing on the obeys. Oh, yeah, it's got uh, intimidating authority. That's the one I was trying to think of. That uh, it basically, it's hard to attack them. Because after it's targeted, it can discard a card. And you, you're you drawing cards all the time, so that is not even a cost for you anymore. And the attacking model has to has a negative to the attack action. Ugh. Okay, last from the elite keyword are investigators. And these are yet more anti-scheming shenanigans. Um, as well as other just generally annoying things. Same intimidating authority as the lawyers did. And they also have this thing where once a marker is dropped nearby, they can force a model close to it to move away from it. Which can get really annoying, especially since it includes like corpses, so something dies and something next to that thing immediately gets pushed away. Pretty annoying. 
can remove markers for schemes and has this really cool other other aura that they put up that basically just turns off scheme markers for scoring purposes. But that is the mimic and technically the elite keyword with Lucius. Getting into the last two keywords here, here's another carryover from a different faction who's just now joining the Neverborn. And this is Marcus and the Chimera keyword. Marcus being an old professor from Earthside that came over to Malifaux and learned sort of the ways of the wild and developed his magic around that. And now he looks like a young strapping man. And his whole thing is that he takes the beasts of Malifaux, the wild creatures, and, you know, makes them better. He's like, you know what? This three-headed murder saber-tooth cat... Uh, it could it could have some wings. Yes, now it's flying. That is much better. Hey, this crazy, you know, Davy Crockett uh, analog person. He he could like have armor plating. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. What can I say? Wait, can he, he wait? Can he give that pull? And so what can I say? Dude's a beast. Ha 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 ha! Hilarious. But for the, for second edition, he was only hanging out with the Arcanist, but now he's learning that he could, you know, maybe get some help from Titania. So he's teaming up with her a little bit. And it makes it makes a lot of sense. His his keyword is mostly the animals of Malifaux, so he's pretty close to the Neverborn already. Chimerancy. I just wanted to make sure that he could actually can something to Paul Kragan. It's, it's friendly Chimera, so we're good. So, do any other fluff stuff, or do you want to get into how he plays? I think you got it pretty much covered. Okay. Not not too familiar with Marcus. I think it's fun that he's an Oxfordian scholar who came to Malifaux and then ended up the Beastmaster. Like, because you know he's like super well educated. He even taught McMorning, so like he's very well educated. But like, you don't think that when you look at him, you just see, oh, there's a dude wearing animal skulls, and he looks like he could beat me up. You don't know that he could also just outsmart you. I, I guess if we if I wasn't uh, as overtly descriptive of that before, his shtick is that he is an upgrade master. He hands out upgrades yep. to his friendly Chimera models or minions and boosts them up, and then they get to do cool things like that, like fly or have armor. Relatively straightforward. Uh, the other thing that he really brings to the table is a lot of his stuff is very fast, quite schemey, and does a decent amount of hitting as well. So a bit of a hi- uh, hybrid playstyle. He's a, he's a good example of, most of his stuff anyway, is a fairly good example of the glass cannon that Neverborn has previously been famous for, if not currently. But not all of it. There's there's also several beefy models in this crew, and he can add armor plating, as has been said. So it's it's hard to pin him down, because he can change things so much. Yep. Okay, let's talk about his totem real quick. The Jackalope! Uh, Jackalope is uh, basically a Bigfoot-type crypto zoological creature thing that doesn't actually exist in real life. It's a rabbit with horns, with antlers specifically. He doesn't do a whole ton. He can kind of gore you with his horns and he's got leap for a little bit of mobility. But um, one thing is he's very, very, very difficult to kill. He basically has demise eternal, but also he can just discard an upgrade to use that demise instead. And Marcus can pass off attacks to friendly beasts, and so you just keep the jackalope around him, and Marcus is going to be a lot harder to take down because he can just pass those off to the jackalope, who will die and then come back. His henchmen 
Miranda is McMorning's niece, a student of his as well, and she's kind of a shapeshifter lady. She's like the uh, the Gorar, kind of. Kind of, but uh, she can, like, come back to herself. She can become any of the Beast models and come around and back to being Miranda, so that gives you, again, a lot more versatility in this crew, because you're like, you know what this crew needs? It needs another saber tooth tiger. And then you have one. <laughs> God. Uh, next up is Kojo is a giant white ape. He is one, a beater, like most things are in this crew. Got that nice six severe damage. Two other things that are a lot more like tactical and skillful is he's got Mark Territory, which is a great name for an ability that lets him remove skew markers around him to gain focus. And you can also throw things both enemy models to get them out of place and deal damage, or friendly models to move them really far up the board with one AP. Uh, so Ferdinand Vogel, one of the models that was in the little competition thingy with Serena, mm-hmm. uh, he is a very cool, very classy werewolf lawyer. <laughs> um, I love that I get to say that. Malifaux's a great game. Malifaux's so good. He has, you know, he's got his, his lawyer abilities, he's got a fancy cane and ancient words. Uh, one of the big things about him, of course, is that he can shape change into a completely different model, but unlike Miranda, it's a specific one, which is the Beast Within. Beast Within being the hitter of the two, if that wasn't readily apparent. Just a big dapper werewolf with a top hat, breaking out the claws, you know, cutting through things left and right. I guess we talk about Ferdinand's definitely more of a support role. He can hit things, and he can shoot things with magic. But this is a little bit easier to get in the Neverborn, but in the Arcanist, we are starved for stunned, and he has a range stunned on the Crow Trigger, which is not nothing. And he can also hand out Shielded, which is a little bit of defense, which the Chimera don't have a ton of. That's really what the Beast Within is, is that if you need suddenly Ferdinand to turn into a header, he can turn into a header. And I believe he heals a little bit as well, so to kind of keep him topped off, he can change him into the Beast Within. Alright, so an enforcer for Chimera and for Frontier, Paul Crockett. He's a combination of Davy Crockett and who? Paul Bunyan. Bunyan? Yeah, and a little bit of a madman as well. <laughs> Just a bit. He's got a nice smile. He's, he's um, definitely all there. He's interesting mechanically in that he's the only model so far that can go into four different factions. He's an Arcanist, but Chimera is dual faction keyword and frontier is a dual faction keyword so yes he's well traveled uh, he's got some decent damage some good range stuff both both arcanists and neverborn don't have a lot of ranged options so he's yeah. bringing that 14 inch gun as well as uh coordinated strike i think on that yeah because if you you're playing neverborn you've got a lot of things up there to hit things so when he gets that coordinated attack it's super beneficial and he's got expert shot because because you don't want to shoot the thing that's getting coordinated attack. <laughs> yeah, that would, that, would, that would suck. It would be very, very anti-thematic with coordinated strike. <laughs> Moving on to the Sabertooth Cerberus, a three-headed Sabertooth cat. Does what you think it does. It bites you real darn good. Gets some onslaught off, so attacking you several times. Um, and some leap, so there's a bit of mobility in there. This is sort of the epitome, I would say, of the Chimera. Keyword, fast-moving, hard-hitting, but not very tough. However, we have the opposite of that. We have the Slate Ridge Mauler. It's a big old bear with four arms. 
It likes to eat things. It's very tough, and it can hit pretty hard, but it's not necessarily the fastest mover. Unless you want to make it the fastest mover, because you're Marcus, so do whatever <laughs> you want, man. It's tough. It's got Juggernaut, so it can heal. It's got Laugh Off, so it can ignore your conditions, because I'm a bear. I do what I want. Bears can laugh, apparently. Yeah. It deserves a tutu, but... Now, looking at it straight, straight on, it's not specifically that tough. just has hard to win with Juggernaut, but you you have upgrades you can throw on it, and this is the sort of thing where you would double down on his toughness. Probably with armored plates. That's the thing where he gets armored one, which really makes him much harder to bring down. <laughs> we can talk about the Scorpius. Scorpius is a mechanical scorpion that is both robot and chimera for some reason. He does lots of poison shenanigans, makes poisoning poison a lot worse and more viable if you're bringing a poison build. And everyone loves him. The Scorpius is perfect. Scorpius is perfect. Moving on. We got the Order Initiates, which are some of the most beautiful models in the game. I love every one of them. They are the part of the Order of the Chimera, and they, they're basically Marcus's new wild students now that he's not teaching at Oxford anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it could be. I don't know. It's just a long sabbatical. I just, I hadn't checked, honestly. Maybe he <laughs> Just one day, he's like, oh, gotta get back to the old teaching job. It's July. They can't really get rid of him. He's, he's tenured. So. <laughs> but they are, they're very cool. They're very adaptive. They work well with upgrade shenanigans. They have abilities that uses the number of upgrades on them for, I think, additional damage. They get uh, additional damage and they get positives. So they get positives for discarding an upgrade, and then on one of their attacks, the trigger gives them additional damage for every two upgrades they've got on them. Yep. They weren't used a lot because they were a little bit overpriced, but now the Arata's fixed that, so hopefully we'll see these on the table more often. The lovely models. They need to be on the table more often. Next up is mole men. They are men that are moles. Fluff-wise, they are people that have like are too old to no longer work in the mines and decide that they're willing to sort of give themselves up to the Arcanist cause for uh, lovely benefits to their families. And suddenly they're, they're mole men now, thanks to Marcus. Marcus does great stuff. Mole men are, are scheme runners. They do a little teleporting thing with uh, scheme markers they put down, and so they'll hop across the board. Pretty cheap, though, and relatively easy to bring down outside of straightforward hitting their defense because then they can bury after getting hit. Yeah, that's done. Pretty pretty straightforward. Snake! Snakes, yes. The Razor Spine Rattlers. They're very cute. They have no eyes. They're covered in spikes. What's not to love? I think their main thing is, like, making it hard to get away from them. Because they've got Wicked and Deadly Pursuit and Strict. So, like, it's it's very hard to get away from them if they want to pin you down and stop you from doing the things you're trying to do. Okay. That's the Chimera keyword, and we're on the last one. The new one... The savage keyword, and these are big boys. Oh yeah, they are. They are the biggest boys. For a long time, I was wanting a master that fit on a fifty millimeter base that wasn't a horse, and we're getting it with Euripides. Euripides being another sort of mystical type character. This is very much the um, what, what? What am I looking? What was the word I'm trying to think of? He he's he's an oracle. Yes, an oracle. Thank you. That is the most apt description. He's also a big dude. And he's got a very interesting hybrid gameplay style that I'm going to let you describe because I can't properly describe it. He's kind of a shockwave master. 
because he puts out ice pillars and they have effects as if they were basically shockwave. Then his whole crew has benefits for being near ice pillars and they have ways to different ways to use the ice pillars. Fluff-wise, he's basically Ice Giant Odin. He has one eye because he gave up the one to be able to... Well, he lost it from Titania, and she turned it into an amulet to let him see the future. Uh, and once he saw that she was going to win, he's been on her side ever since. How did I not see the allusion to Odin until just now? I feel stupid. Yeah, there's... This whole crew is very Norse-Greek combo. Because you see, like, the... Uh, the Cyclops, for example, use Norse Nordic runes for their magic, but obviously they're Cyclops, which is a Greek mythical beast. So yeah, that's the it permeates through the whole thing is the Nordic Greek combo thing. So he's got intuition, so he can see like the the top of your deck whenever he's going. He can rearrange it, and he's got rune etched ice, which is what he uses to shockwave people with ice pillars. Uh, he can also go bowling with ice pillars because that's always fun. <laughs> and he's got a nice little surprise where he can use his bonus action to pop out of an ice pillar. There's interesting movement shenanigans in the whole crew because most of them are 50 mils and they're hard to just walk around because any kind of terrain can make that a difficulty. But they, they've, learned, they've learned to, to work around their disability. Okay, his totem is the Primordial Magic. Lovingly referred to as the Puke Snake. Although, his new version doesn't look like it's throwing up at all. It just looks very goopy. Not a lot of uh, fun stuff on the card. Biggest thing is bringing in an extra card through Arcane Reservoir. And can give out Incorporal to a friendly model. What about a henchman? A henchman? That would be a great idea. So, we have the Thun as our henchman. Fluff-wise, he was a follower of Euripides until Euripides... Uh, decided, hey, we need to hold back for a while, and then was like, no, no, I need to murder things. So he left. And then Euripides came back and was like, hey, Thun, want to murder things with me again? He's like, yes, I absolutely do. Yay! Uh, he also has intuition, which is super nice to have that on two models in your crew, because knowing what's on the top of your deck, I completely left out the old ways when describing... Oh, yeah. The, Go ahead. The old ways is a very key element to this crew. I don't know how I've missed it. When this model performs a duel without any fate modifiers, it may suffer one damage to flip the card for that duel from its discard pile instead of its fate deck. And then it gets put to the bottom of the discard pile. That gives you a decent amount of control over what's going to happen next because you can choose the mystery card in your deck or you can choose this card that you just put on your discard pile. And intuition combined with that gives you a lot of choices that you can make, but also a lot of choices that you have to make. So you look at this crew and you think, oh, big, beady, giant things. There's a lot more thought that goes into that than you would initially expect. Back to Thune, he has the uh, ever-dreaded frozen trophy trigger that people are scared of. I'm scared of it. It's It can be scary, but it's not as bad as people think. It's on a tome. This crew is so tome-hungry. You can basically turn your uh, turn the enemy into an ice pillar. If they get buried, you have an ice pillar out, and the only way to unbury them is uh, by destroying the ice pillar. People think that you're going to take your spoon and freeze their entire crew and they won't be able to play the game. That is highly unlikely, unless you just absolutely let it happen. Yeah, it's not like there's anyone else in this keyword that could also take that ability and do the same thing. No, sir. <laughs> I, 
I had to do it. You know I had to do it. Right. And it's... The, it's the, the double mimic list is going to happen. I, I swear it's going to happen. If you're going to do the whole I need to freeze the entire enemy's crew, it's going to work better in a Lucius crew, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And you have 46 and the doppelganger and Thune, and that's all three of that's all three models that can do it. Yep, and no one's going to. Ex- most people are probably aren't expecting Thune in the Lucius list. No, because someone declares Eurydice like, yes, I need something to deal with Frozen Trophy. If you're going against the Ice Giants with their Ice Pillars, and you're not bringing terrain removal, I mean, like, I don't know if every faction has access to it. I feel like blowing a blow to hell is a big enough is a universal enough ability. Anyways. We're getting too much into meta here. Let's move on. Unless you have something else you need to say about Thune. Nope. It's a solid beater. Yeah, he's good, he's good at hitting things. There's a lot of good hitters in this crew because they are actually giants. Yep. Speaking of giants, there's the... Now, I, I'm, I'm mad because I can't figure out how the proper pronunciation of that. Is it, gi- is it gigant or gigant? It's gigant because that's, that's the root of the word gigantic. Okay. It's, yeah. Although, for some reason, I like Gigant more, for some reason. I, mm. Anyways, these are uh, relatively cheap. Six soul stones for a 50mm base. Ain't nothing. They can hit, but I think their big thing, their big appeal is their ranged attack. And again, a faction that doesn't have a whole ton of ranged attack. Eight inches isn't the furthest, but bring in some, da- some blast damage that they can make more blasts out of hitting out stun, and I can also um, discard a card to just ignore line of sight and cover, which is awesome, fantastic. So these are weirdly enough your shooters in this crew, yeah. I think. Not to mention their expert shot. Oh yeah, ignoring friendly fire. The often overlooked bonus for them is they've got shattering shove on one of their attacks, which basically means they get to smack a thing through an ice pillar, and then you can place that model in base contact with any ice pillar on the board. So you can take an opponent that's gotten to your side and shove it to wherever you want it because you've got an ice pillar there. Sorry, sorry, what? Uh, Shattering shove. Push the target two inches in any direction. If the target comes into base contact with an ice pillar during this push, the ice pillar marker is removed. Then place the target into base contact with any ice pillar marker. I'm looking at the, the Gigant, and that's Shattering Surprise, which is just teleport the Gigant to the... No, it's Shattering Shove on Tree Trunk Attack. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Tactical. I thought you said Bonus. Whoops. I, okay. I said Bonus, but I didn't mean it in the Bonus Action okay. way. Oh, the Bonus Action is nice because it... Turns off interacts. ...interactions and teleports the Gigant if you want it to. Okay. Moving on. Talk about the the Garion? The Garion. The the gross things. They're adorable. These were from a specific tribe of gigants that got trapped in the mountains, and they resorted to uh, Donner Party tactics. Oh, cool. Which isn't uncommon in the the gigant culture anyway, but they also... Between the, uh, the cannibalism and the inbreeding of being trapped there for forever. They turned into weird three-headed monsters. With an extra arm. You know, it kind of yeah. looks like a, a Archie's cousins. Kinda. So the, the, <laughs> the war of it is that gigants usually are born in litters of three. But the Garion, the, the fetuses all just sort of morph together into one. 
Ugh. Okay. Let's stop talking about this thing's description. <laughs> Just tell us what it does so we can move on. They are, they are tough. They can hit real hard. They have means of getting focused. And when you've got, when you've got that combo with a crew that can uh, pick up cards off of its discard pile, you've got the formula for some really good damage output with these guys. And on top of that, they've got Reform from Ice where they can remove Ice Flare Markers to heal, so they're hard to get rid of. Cool. Next up, the last of the 50mm bases, the Cyclops, which is more of a support model in this crew. They can, they can hit if they need to, but with the defense that they have, it's probably, say, not the most advised. I think what you're bringing for is additional Ice Pillar creation as well as doing some shenanigans with ice pillars with their bonus action, like healing or dealing damage or handing out staggered. That being said, I would never play Savage without at least one of these in my crew. I almost always bring two. Yeah. Because of what they can do with them. It, it seems weird bringing spending 14 stones on all that mainly does two things, but trust me, it, they're worth it. All right. How about, oh, yeah, the Lissa again. Alyssa, sorry, we talked about these guys. They are angry spirits that <laughs> that work with the woe, and yeah, they've got a lot more play with the ice pillars. And the crew in general, especially Euripides, put out staggered, so the opportunist works well even outside of a woe crew. And last for the savage keyword, I did say it was savage, right? Yeah, savage keyword. Uh, the Boltangen. Coming over here from uh, Faye, I think they have a little bit more use with the Savage Keyword just because you need someone that can actually enter buildings, <laughs> go through doorways and stuff. You know, relatively quick, okay, Scheme Runners got condition removal, not the worst thing. And depending on what board you're bringing, you're going to need someone to actually fit into small spaces. And that's it for the Savage Keyword. We'll go ahead and quickly cover the versatile models and call it a night. Cool. All right, let's start with the uh, the starter box. Why not? Uh, the henchman from there. Go ahead, Neely. So we got Angel Eyes, who's a henchman. She's part of the Half-Blood section of the Versile models. Their fluff is that they were humans, and Nekima, Nekima sorry, was uh, wanting to experiment and see if she could turn humans into Nephilim. It kind of worked. Um, kind of. They're, they're immune to black blood, but they don't have black blood. Angel Eyes herself is... Basically, the big Neverborn sniper. She's got extra shot, shot, she's got sniper, and she's got her clockwork rifle with, it, with its 14-inch range. And all of the Half-Bloods will have evasive, which lets them ignore shockwaves, pulses, and blast effects, which is why they can ignore all of the Black Blood. Yeah, it's it's an ability that lets you do a lot more than just saying, hey, you, you can ignore Black Blood. It's actually quite useful, I think. It's very useful. I... I didn't mean to downplay it by saying the oh, okay. word black, but I meant that in a more fluff way than a yes. mechanical way. Yep. No, I was I was just saying that they, they they don't have an ability that just says they they ignore black blood. They have a very useful ability that lets them ignore black blood and a whole bunch of other things. But okay. Let's get Maurice. Maurice has had a bit of a name change. He used to be the sign of black blood, but he is no longer that. He's now just Maurice. Um, he looks like a Maurice, right? Maybe, kind of. Dude's wielding a knife and a shotgun and is lacking a shirt, as you should in The Neverborn. Bringing in another shooting attack. I mean, he can stab, but I think more effort is in his shooting where he can 
hand out injured uh, if you got the right trigger. And since he's bringing out blast, it's a, it's a decent amount of injured. And also, he's got a lovely aura he can put up that gives cover to Maul's within three inches of him, which is actually really, really useful. Neverborn does not, as we said before, Neverborn doesn't have a lot of range. So being able to mitigate people shooting into you until you get your stuff into them is, is quite useful. And while there's a good amount of concealment in the Neverborn faction, there isn't a whole... I mean, cover is a thing that doesn't get handed out a lot. I guess they sort of expect you to have that a lot through terrain. But if you get a board with very little terrain, it'd be nice to just give out cover. Okay, how about Tuco, Eli? Tuco is another enforcer in the uh, Black Blood group. He's Tuco Ortega. He was in the Ortega family. He got taken by the Nephilim. They did the whole Black Blood experiment on him and drove him mad. And now he hates the Ortegas because he feels like they left him to die. Which is, yeah, it's not great. Nope. He's he's pretty good because he's got, he's got stealth and he's got from the shadows. You can pop him up on the board and start attacking things basically immediately because... You, you want to you scare your opponent and distract them long enough for your more melee-based crew to get up, up close to them. Last for the half-blood keyword is the Blood Wretch. Cheap little minions. Versatile. Uh, I would say they're uh, kind of eh, not really chaff. Think of them like your uh, 28 Days Later zombies. Rushing, rushing into the enemy, got a decent move, can charge more than once, and will heal off of damage they deal on a trigger. Not a whole lot on their card. I think that's mostly what they're in there for, is just to bum-rush the enemy and try and survive by dealing damage. Yeah. Oh, the pretty one. So, yeah, now we're going into the puppet section of the Versatiles with one of the henchmen, Hinamatsu. I say one of the henchmen because Widow Weaver herself counts as a puppet for hiring purposes. Yeah, Hinamatsu is fantastic. Also has uh, the key and gong keyword, so can play in, t- in-, in thunders. Or uh, if you're playing with your henchman as a master, you can hire key and gong along with your puppets. Hinamatsu was made by the same people that made Kaladi, who is now dead. We miss him. Oh, uh, he's just, you know, lost a little weight. Hmm. From the neck Kaladi. down. Anyway, Hinamatsu is like a performing, one of the many performing puppets and has more of an affinity for big old swords, which is useful because, you know, she's got four arms. Many, many swords. Yeah, so you got Flurry on her because multiple swords. And you got Onslaught on the sword attack because multiple swords. So you can get, you know, four different attacks off, or sorry, six different attacks off if you've got the, the mass for it. Also, Allure, because Hinamatsu is very, very pretty. <laughs> Next is Vasilisa, who used to be the henchman for Kolodi, but now she apparently has been demoted to Enforcer. And I think her main shtick is one that has this really great ability that says, uh, during the start phase of the turn, enemy models that are within two inches of a friendly puppet gain staggered. So if you're bringing out multiple puppets in the game, that's going to be a lot of staggered that immediately just applies. Which is gonna suck to deal with, but also, she can summon puppets! Yay! Hooray! And she's got a, she's got a, a bunch of stuff on her card, but uh, I'm not just gonna go into that, but 
It's mostly puppet. To summon these stitched together because you've got multiple models that can summon the stitch together. God damn it. <laughs> but why would you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, um, puppet, puppet making, puppet assisting, puppet, 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 puppet. We're done with Vasilisa. Moving on. One note for Vasilisa. Yeah. Because it's going to be on the uh, the Wicked Dolls as well, which I'm going into next. Is the needle and thread attack? It's a zero melee attack, zero range melee attack. When targeting the model, a model was staggered. It ignores any negatives to the duel and the damage flips. So putting out all that staggered at once very helpful for this. Yes. Uh, and the target must either discard a card and or until the end phase cannot declare actions printed on its stat card. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. awful. It is truly awful. If you have a decent amount of like hand drainage and Vasilisa, you can just take models and say, you're not doing anything uh, significant. It's fun. So the Wicked Dolls are the uh, little three stone minion puppets. They've got stealth and accomplice and they have uh, creep along so they can, they've got really good movement and they can, they're hard to, hard to damage unless you get up close to them. They, again, also have Needle and Thread, and they can put Adversary X out. So whatever keyword you want to put into that slot, uh, you have Adversary on that that model. Okay, getting away from puppets, finally. We have Wrath, one of the Crossroads 7, the epitome of the sin of Wrath, I guess. Uh, basically looks like you're a death metal singer. You know, surrounded by ghosts, as most singers are. Um, he is primarily a melee beater, but uh, has the sin token mechanic that's prevalent with all of the Crossroads 7. And I guess his shtick is that once friendly models take damage from attacks, the attacking model gains a sin token, and then he can remove a sin token later on uh, when that model attacks again to force it to attack something else. And then, of course, he can force models to attack himself to both displace them and then force them attack to attack their friends. So a lot of attacking and then uh, messing with your opponent's attacks. Attacks. Okay. Ooh, rider. Go ahead and, yeah, get into the rider. So the initial four factions all have their rider, the four riders of the apocalypse. Uh-huh. Uh, Neverborn has the hooded rider, and he's the coolest. He is um, very cool. Uh, maybe not the coolest, but 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 cool, for not, nonetheless. on it can't deny how cool that is. So it's got the standard rider things, seven movement, unimpeded, ruthless, all of the things that make them terrifying to see. They've got chasing fate ability. This one's with masks. And then there's the bonus action that they all have that has a varying effect depending on the number of masks you use. The five mask ability is one at a time, take a melee attack action targeting every enemy model within Pulse 6, ignoring range, and then place this model within 2 inches of the last model targeted. Uh, and you, as the attacker, of course, get to choose the order of the attacks. And uh, it's a 3-4-5 attack that has a positive if it wasn't a charge. So Positive to damage. Uh, that, that potentially has a lot of damage. I've seen it flop before, but I, you could also just absolutely annihilate a group. Moving on to something else, I guess. The mysterious effigy, who um, looks a little bit more generically Neverborn than the Emissary does. Cute little 
uh, sort of, I would say, like, maybe Widow Weaver's daughter? You know, I can see that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, if Widow Weaver and Chompy Bits had a child. Maybe they do. That's what this is. We're going to go with that. Even though it's a puppet. Some, some, uh, anyways. Hey, we made a baby. <laughs> Uh, um, as with uh, the other effigies, it can turn into the emissary if you bring a specific upgrade on it. It can become the free totem, more or less, for henchmen if you declare the henchman as leader. And like all other effigies and emissaries, it comes with its own special, very special aura. They're the aura of deception for the mysterious line says that you can cheat cards face down, which is just, just delicious. And not not just the effigy itself, but friendly models within three inches of the effigy can all cheat cards face down. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm jealous of this aura. It's a pretty good aura. I can't deny that. Okay. So, well, go ahead and get in the, the emissary then. It's a tree person. It's often affectionately referred to as the angry brute. It's, uh, as I said earlier, it has its best play into Tanya's crew because it works with terrain. It puts out hungry landmarkers that are 50 millimeters severe hazardous markers. And it does that anytime it would use a blast effect. And it's got a few blast effects on its attacks. It also has tangling roots, so it can attack anything that's touching the same severe terrain as it. It's all. It's still got the, uh, the aura of deception, because you wouldn't want to lose that. No, it's great. Okay, cool. Yeah, that went a lot faster. So, this has been the Neverborn Primer. I hope this will give you an idea of what you want to play in Neverborn, or give you an idea if you want to play Neverborn or not. Um, Regardless, play Malifaux, if at all all possible. But, uh, really cool, very flavorful, very popular faction. I'm glad we got this guy through, and I'm glad that we had such an expert as Eli to come on and sort of shill the faction Thank you very much again, Eli, for coming on. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. And uh, I'm glad to talk about the best faction in the game. Um, that, uh, that is your, that, you know, the ex- opinions expressed here. <laughs> the actual good guys. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. Well, uh, you listeners, uh, enjoy yourselves. And as I always say, fun is always king. Have a good night. See ya. Songs used in this production are Villainous Treachery and Five Card Shuffle. All music is created by Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.